Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? In the second main session of the conference, Lori Krieg is talking about facing the unthinkable, how we can have hope and confidence in facing the scrutiny of both church and culture for our sexual convictions. Thanks for listening. excited to be here with you guys. I, um, I'm really proud of you, actually, because you are diving into this sexuality conversation and you're doing it with grace and intentionality and love and oodles of prayer. I've been getting emails like, how can we be praying for you? And I'm like, I really need it. Thank you. I know you're actually going to do it. So I keep sharing honest things that we need prayer for. So thank you. And I've been praying and I know the group has been praying for you all. And my big prayer every time I speak is, God, would you give me love for my audience? And so I just pray that as we continue this day, that we feel this kinship in the spirit. But this morning, I'm talking about facing the unthinkable, hope and confidence when facing the scrutiny of church and culture for our sexual conviction. Real easy topic today, huh? (laughs) But I think it's just going to go in the theme of what we're talking about throughout the day. And I actually, it's neat how God gives you joy for what you're called to do. And so I have a joy to do this calling, to talk about this today. But before we go there, we're going to look at, do a little art critique. You thought you were at a sexuality conference. Nope, that's down the hall. This is called The Scream. Have you guys seen this picture before? Yeah? Edvard Munch. That's probably how you say it. Edvard, honey. Baby name, yeah? (laughs) No? Okay. We're pregnant. This, if we're pregnant, we're third born. It's a boy, but probably not Edvard. Um, when you look at this picture, I would love to hear how does it make you feel? And then say the answers out loud. How does it make you feel? There's no wrong answer, class. Sad, furious, someone say? Yeah. Weepy, lost. Yeah. Scared. Okay, We're, uh, you all can buy journals at the Hole in My Heart spot. You can just go ahead and journal your feelings out. No, but some of those things that you guys listed are some of the ways that I felt when I first realized that I was screaming. I hope I didn't really look like that. <laughs> Maybe some mornings. But I felt that way, that furious, that sad, that lost, that wanting to weep and and journal it out. I was meeting a friend for coffee, and I had recently broken up with my girlfriend, and then after that I broke up with my boyfriend, and I was like, I don't know what that was about, I'm not even interested in guys. And I was severely depressed and anxious. And this friend said to me, Lori, you know what you're doing, right? No. Somehow you do? <laughs> she said, you're screaming. I was like, what? I like, I'm like, actually, when I'm not on a stage, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. But when I, I like to keep my pain and suffering right here. Just shove it on down. I don't like to scream. 
But as she explained it more and more, I understood what she was saying. She was, I was doing what I call our scream. When we wake up to the reality that this world is not Eden. It's not Eden. It's not the new heaven and the new earth. We're in this middle state. I'm broken. People are broken. And I am left needy and screaming, this world is not what it's supposed to be. And we're not wrong. It isn't. But we all do this. Everyone wakes up to the reality that this world is not Eden, and our responses might be different. For some of us, our scream might be actually very loud. Our reaction to sin, you're wrong, what you're doing isn't right, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be, we might say, or it's in this like grabbing, demanding, consuming response. Or for some of us, maybe it is quieter. We like to keep that suffering nice and tight. <laughs> and we respond with what one psychologist has called frozen rage. That's how he defines depression. And we feel this anxiety inside. And we look for ways to distract ourselves from the pain that we really see around us. We wake up and scream multiple times in our lives. The first time is when we're wee little babies. <laughs> you know, we're in this safe, nice, cozy little womb, and then we come out and we're like, what? It's freezing cold. What are these lights and who are these people? I remember when one of our children was born. I won't name which one. You have a 50-50 chance. But my first thought about her was, She's mad. Like, she is ticked off right now. And, and understandably so. This, this is not the cozy place where I was before. But it doesn't stop there. You know, we're hungry. Wah! We're tired. Wah! Our sister takes her stuff. Wah! Our parents, they stop licking the stairs. Wah! <laughs> I have no experience with that one last week. <laughs> But early on, we hear a lot of comforting, shushing sounds. It's okay, mommy's here. And we need that. We need to be able to learn how to regulate our emotions. We cannot be throwing these adult toddler tantrums. Although you might be thinking of someone who does that. Hopefully they're not in this room sitting next to you. <laughs> but as we get older, this four, five, six, 13, 16, 18, 21, we hear a lot less of the comforting, shushing sounds, and we hear a lot of, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Why don't you just shut that down? It comes often in the form of, you are okay. You skinned your knee, oh, you're a big boy, you're gonna be okay. <laughs> Oh, they're bullying you at school. Oh, well, everyone deals with that. It's going to be okay. Your parents got divorced. Hmm, that, you know, it's going to be okay. You faced some sexual assault. Well, you know, God works everything together for the good, so it, it'll be okay. 
It's as if maybe if we say it enough times, we'll go back to Eden. Or maybe we'll fast forward to the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, you, you, you feel really different from everyone else around you. Well, everybody feels different. Everybody feels like an outsider. Oh, when you look in the mirror, your biological sex and your gender identity, you don't feel like they match? And so you actually like cry real tears when you look in the mirror? Oh, uh, you are attracted to someone of the same gender and you're not like making that up. It didn't just like happen and you just chose it. You're like actually like wrestling with this for like a long time. Well, we don't talk about that here. So it'll be okay if you don't talk about it either. Shove it down. To quote the sage Queen Elsa from the movie Frozen, <laughs> conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. <laughs> but the more we do this, the more we do this shoving it down, the more it calcifies into this frozen rage or it electrifies out into actual rage and into unhealthy coping mechanisms. We scream. <laughs> I've wrestled with this. I still do. I tried to tell myself that it was okay when really it wasn't. Specifically, I'm a part of the four, seven, ten percent of you who experience attractions toward the same gender. I felt different, and I wanted to scream, God, you made me like this, and yet you're keeping me from what I want? With my girlfriend, I didn't feel so different. I felt loved, and yet deeper inside of my spirit, I knew that it was not God's best for me. My desires of my flesh and the spirit of the living God inside of me were at war. It was like Galatians 5. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants, and the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite, of what the sinful nature, or of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. <laughs> there, in that battle between my spirit and my flesh, I screamed. I screamed at the world, both at Christian world and at church world. You're not safe. You don't love me as I am. You, don't, you either love my flesh and you're ignoring my spirit or you're only focused on the spirit part and you're not listening to the actual agony I'm going through. And I said to God, okay, God, you make me like this. Why don't you squish me like Play-Doh and start over with a new, fresh, good old straight girl that I know that you want. But instead of squish me, <laughs> he loved me, the whole mess of me. And do you know what love does? Like a bajillion things. But one of the things that it does is it empowers. You guys know this verse. Perhaps you've even sang a song about it with hand motions. 
Nay, you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, this is where the hand motions come in, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great you'll never fully understand it. Then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power. What? Love empowers? And power that comes from God. God's love empowered me not to become straight. His love empowered me to die to myself. His love empowered me to daily surrender my version of broken sexuality to the Lordship of Christ, just as you are all called to do every day. But here I am, married to a dude, wave Matt, <laughs> and I'm pregnant. This is not a result of eating too much Valentine candy. Although the care package, the Welcome to Wisconsin care package had like some really good stuff in it, so I don't know, might have added a little more girth. But how did that work out? Like here I am, I'm not saying God fixed it. Like I, I still wrestle with these attractions. I have to daily die to my natural orientation, my natural predisposition, just as you all have to do. How does that work? Now God could have said to me, after I had this like love wreckage of my soul, this love empowerment, he could have said, go, be single, and make disciples. But instead he said to Lori, Lori, the mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is as a married person. Marriage or singleness, these are the modes we do the mission to make disciples. It's not elevated. Marriage is not ultimate. It's not better than. The only ultimate marriage is between Christ and the church. You can listen to our rant about that at the marriage workshop later. <laughs> so God did not have my heart connect to the heart of all men. That's polygamy. He had my heart connect to the heart of one man. And to make marriage work, you need one man, one woman, who are willing to die daily to themselves, link arms, and run after Jesus as they make disciples. Can I say that again? <laughs> All you need to make marriage work is one man, one woman, who are willing to die daily to themselves, link arms, and run after Jesus as they make disciples. So that's what we're doing. But six years into our marriage, I screamed again. Matt came forward with his secret five-year pornography addiction, and I was laid out. I screamed at God. You kidding me, God? <laughs> I surrender to you and this is how you repay me? You can hear a lot of idolatry in that, but whatever, we'll just let me be in my mess. <laughs> and I screamed at Matt, really? You are the one man that I trusted. And you're just like every other stereotype. But then God's crazy breakthrough empowering love came 
came through again. And his love empowered me to see my own stinking reflection. Lord, you think your sin is so much better than his? You literally struggle with lust toward women. What does he struggle with? <laughs> lust toward women. And so God's love both convicted me and empowered me to see that I am not some sort of better sinner. I am equally in need of the Savior's love and grace. And that love empowered me to offer it back to him. After that healing journey, we started this ministry. We decided, we felt this, we didn't decide. <laughs> God put in our hands this ministry to help equip the church to walk alongside those who are wrestling with issues related to sexuality. I know what you're thinking. You picked a really comfy job. <laughs> Timely, easy, no pain, sure. <laughs> But here we are as we start talking and we realize, wow, <laughs> shocker. Not everyone loved everything we've said and done. On the conservative side of the conversation, be because we're super graceful and kind, we try and really love people right where they are. People would send us fiery Sodom and Gomorrah, you're gonna burn in hell gifts. Not gifts with a T, but like the G-I-F. It wasn't like presents on fire. <laughs> Although that'd be funny. Please don't do that. <laughs> and they, uh, they, they, they sheltered me from their kids. I didn't feel good. Or they publicly accused us of things that we didn't do. And then on the other side, when we started talking, because we, we said, hey, we, we believe that God's design for marriage and sexuality is this way, simply because we held to that. We got protested, publicly slandered, put on the same shelf as Hitler, because to hold to the same, to hold to God's design for marriage and sexuality, even if you're doing it in this graceful way and living it out, to them is to celebrate LGBT teen suicide, which is something I grieve deeply, and we all should grieve and lean in. And I screamed again, God, this is not the ministry I hoped for. I just wanted to help people, not fight people. Anyone ever feel that? <laughs> I just got in ministry to help people. Oh, but shoot, we're working with post-fall people. <laughs> so what can we do, guys? What can we do when our throat is scratchy from screaming and our stomach is churning from years of telling ourselves it's okay when it's really not okay? What can we do? We can take it to Jesus. And that's the end of my talk, bye. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> if you're like me, whenever like, I hear those answers, I'm like, yes, but how? 
So we're going to lean into some of that how for the remainder of our conversation. So how do we take it to Jesus? How do we walk this out? We got to walk like he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. So how did he? How did Jesus respond to a post-fall, pre-new heaven, new earth world? He screamed too. He just directed his scream in the right direction, and so we give it another name. It's called lament. You can find his scream or his lament in several places in the New Testament. You can find it in Gethsemane, where he's just going to town. Father, take this from me. I don't want to die, but not my will, but yours. You can find it when he's weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And that Greek word there is he's weeping over Jerusalem is like a whole body weeping. Like a child, it says. But one of my favorite places you can find Jesus screaming or lamenting is actually where you find the shortest verse in the Bible. It's an art critique and a Bible drill. What's the shortest verse? There you go. Jesus wept. You guys know the story. Jesus, his friend, Lazarus, is sick. He seemingly gets there too late to heal him. Lazarus dies. Jesus weeps. Jesus heals him. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> you got a little Monty Python throwback there. That was good, babe. <laughs> the miracle of G Lazarus being risen from the dead is amazing, but what stands out to me actually is the weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. We kind of picture Jesus like hipster, brutally weeping to himself as he's listening to some like semi-depressing Maybe Regina Spector, yeah. <laughs> but what is this deeply moved and troubled? Lori, I noticed you highlighted them in black. That must be important. <laughs> yes, they are. Thank you for noticing. Uh, you know, Tim Keller, who I love, I probably, on, I gotta work on my idolatry still, it's okay. But Tim Keller, he's an author and speaker, and he says that, Every translation of this passage, ancient and modern, are afraid of what the text says. They're afraid of it. Okay. How about theologian D.A. Carson? He said it's lexically inexcusable to reduce this to the emotional upset of empathy, grief, pain, or the like. Okay, guys, well then help us out. What's it mean? Troubled means to quake with rage. Deeply moved means to roar or snort with anger like a bull or a lion. What? My like hipster Jesus imagery is just... <laughs> so let's retranslate it. Come on, Tim. Help us out. The best translation would be bellowing with anger. He came to the tomb. At the very least, it would mean his nostrils flared with fury, and it might mean he was yelling with anger. This is how we walk as he walked. But why did he do this? It wasn't like he was surprised. This is why I love it. 
because Jesus had all power and he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why did he freak out? I believe, as other commentators do, it's because he was doing his scream. This is not Eden. People are not supposed to die. This is not the world that I created. This is not okay. And he just let it out there, as we are to do. Jesus wept. Jesus bellowed with anger and quaked with rage. If we are to walk as he walked, we need to do the same place. But we don't bellow with anger on Facebook. We don't quake with rage at our spouses. We take our pain to the only one who can do something about it. That's called lament. Lament, venting to the only one who can do something about your pain. Lament is the start of doing something more with your scream at the world than simply yelling about it or distracting yourself from it or hating yourself because you recognize that this is not the world that God created. Lament is the start of turning your scream of anguish into a song of praise or the shout of a warrior. Why and how? I love this book by Michael Card. It's called A Sacred Sorrow. He wrote it in 2005, but it's so good. Lament is one of the most direct paths to true praise that we know we have lost. In fact, lament is not a path to worship, but the path of worship. What? It issues forth from the rubble of a once holy city. It can only come from the fragmented ruins of a once whole life. It can only echo from the wilderness. You all have experienced this. You have gotten to the bottom of a pit and you realize that you have nothing there. You have nothing to offer. Instead of looking up and see Jesus at the top of the pit looking down at you, you look over and you see he's sitting with you in that mess with his hand on your back, just weeping. And in that place, you sing, it is well with my soul, truly, for the first time. Jesus wasn't the only one to lament. Did you know that 44% of the Psalms are psalms of lament and imprecation, or a call for God's justice to come down on your enemies. All the gray ones, bottom right-hand corner, those are lament and imprecation. Here's how some of them sound. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Those who hate me without reason number the hairs on my head. I think some of us can relate. Well, how about this one? Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them on the rocks? What the? <laughs> we can read this and be like, um, let's go back to Psalm 23 and Psalm 91. Just ignore that one. That guy's crazy. <laughs> but how often have we secretly thought... I mean, if only that person wasn't in my life anymore. I'd be like, maybe nothing terrible, but 
maybe a little bit terrible. <laughs> and then we feel guilty and we shove it down, conceal, don't feel, I know, okay, Elsa. Or we, we get another friend and we tell them like just enough so they can get good and mad with us, right? But they can never get good and mad enough with us. It's kind of annoying. Is this, is this author crazy or, or are we not crazy to take all the secret thoughts in our minds and our hearts that God already knows and pour it out onto him? But how do we do it? How do I lament? This is an ongoing practice. How did I? When I was waking up to the reality of my own sexuality, how did I when Matt came forward with his secret pornography addiction? How did and do I when people lie about you and slander you and say all sorts of evil things about you? How do you respond? This is my process. I'm like literally going to walk you through it because I love you that much. Okay. Step one. <laughs> Name the what and the feels. <laughs> So you know when you're like sitting down with yourself, you're like, oh, I just super re reacted on that person way more than I should have. I think something's going on over there. Uh, keep moving on. Let's go. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> and grab your laptop or a journal and a pen. Just make sure you put like a bunch of disclaimers in the beginning of your journal, like burn this upon my death immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I literally do that. I write like... If you're looking for some nice stories about Grandma Lori, they're not here. <laughs> it's true, my poor kids. Okay, so I pour, I start with the what. Keep it real chill. You don't have to even know how you feel yet. Just what happened? Well, that one person said this one thing to me or God, people don't like me right now. I felt that after this random post I saw or God, marriage felt so hard after that conversation. Ugh. God, my sexuality was a major challenge in this moment. Just get it on the page. God already knows it. You already feel it. Get it out. And then you move into the feels. <laughs> How do I feel? God, it's hard to be hated. You might need to add a few bad words. That's allowed. I'm just saying. It's in here. Just get it out. Because that's not endorsed by Nick or anyone. <laughs> God, I feel hopeless in our marriage. God, why don't you take this away? And you write and you write until it feels like you get to the end of the bucket of emotion. And I might hang out here for a while. Until I get like a good cry on maybe. <laughs> and sometimes I do this in community. Now, I'm not going to my friends and I'm telling them the what and the feels. I'm saying, I need to take this to God in a form of a prayer. Will you support me as I do? And they're listening to God and trying to listen for me. But that way, I'm not just riling up a group of people with me. We're all going to God, the only one who can do something about it. The second thing is to name sin. Now, the dream scenario of where I'm taking you is to get you to a place of freedom where you could actually love your enemies. That's the secret. But it, we need to get to a place of forgiveness, but we can't get to that place of forgiveness if we don't know what the sin is. 
There's so many times we just say, oh, that's just how a person is. God didn't go to the cross for, oh, that's the way a person is. He died for sin. So we need to name what the sin is so we can forgive sin, not the way a person is. God, they're calling righteous what you call unrighteous. God, he lied to me here and here and here, and I name each one. God, people are not listening to me and loving me as I am. I name it. And like Jesus with Lazarus or Jesus in Gethsemane or like David or the weeping prophets, but especially Jeremiah, I feel the weight of that sin. And I cry and I get mad. The third step is to forgive their sin. Okay, this one's funny because I've walked many people through this process and um, even and myself. And usually we get to the end of it and I go, surprise, you just forgave your mom. They have no idea that they forgave because of the process that we do. Now here's why it's such a surprise. is churchy, probably you guys are nailing it, but churchy in general forgiveness is like this. Okay, somebody hurts you, and let's call those hurts, those sins, daggers, and they go inside us, and we feel them, but instead of being like, ah, I was stabbed with a dagger. We just throw a nice big dress over the whole thing, a nice moo-moo, if you will. <laughs> That's a moo-moo. You could order this online and make it yourself. <laughs> So we have all these sins done against us because remember we were made for Eden and, and the new heaven and new earth. We weren't made for this post-fall world. So then we have all these terrible things in us. And so instead of grieving, we throw this over us and then we're at church and we're bumping into each other and triggering each other over the carpet color. We don't know why. We got to remove the moo-moo. We got to look at each sin done to us and we got to grieve it and name it and say, God, God, I give you this sin done to me. God, they're calling righteousness what is unrighteous. God, he lied to me. God, they're not loving me. And I sit there a second. His name isn't Emmanuel for no reason. <laughs> Emmanuel, God with us. He's the great empathizer, God. When did people ever misinterpret your ministry? Ooh, <laughs> they said you were demon-possessed. <laughs> Empathy from him. God, when were you ever lied to or betrayed? Judas, Peter, me, me every day when I don't go to him and I say I will. God, when were you not loved? Just look at the cross. Love is patient and kind. That's his kindness, not ours. And then what? Well, we got to confess our own sin. This is a really hard but important step. You don't just say, yeah, the sinners, and God takes it, and he's the judge. Nope. <laughs> Even if they did 99% of it, and you did 1%, own the one. How did I sin as a result of this, God? I hated them, God. I wished them dead. 
I Psalm 137 all over them. <laughs> I talked trash about them. Or in order to distract myself from all this, I looked at things I shouldn't have. Or I hated myself, God. Your image bearer. Do you ever confess that one? We feel kind of holy hating ourselves, don't we? You were made in God's image too. I'm sorry. And I envision Jesus taking my sin too and dying for it equally. And then I picture three days later him rising again. He's got scars, but so do I. But I see and I feel this as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He is the judge of them and of me. If I was the judge, I would judge too harshly or too leniently. He is the only just judge. But this process removes the sting of bitterness. I don't have to scream anymore. I can sing. I could do a warrior cry. Which leads us to the last step. <laughs> Surrender the results. I don't have to be reactive now to the daggers in me because they're gone. I can be responsive to Jesus. Before doing this whole lament, forgiveness, confession process in the first one, naming the what and the feels, I probably would have felt justified in doing some like nice Christian meanness. <laughs> I'll pray for you. <laughs> and that's the face you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> or at least bringing it up in a prayer. I really need prayer for blah, 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 blah. Gossip feels good. But it's a prayer request. It's not gossip. Or a nice passive-aggressive post about some people, but you hope they get it. But after doing this process, after the bitterness is gone, is I can surrender and say, God, I give this to you. Will you put back into my hands one or two things that you want me to do in response to this? And he does. Sometimes he just wants me to pray. Just pray for him, Lori. Sometimes this one's a harder one. Did you know that loving your enemies doesn't feel like Disney sprinkle sunshine all over you? Feels like your flesh is dying, because <laughs> it is. Love that person you hated. <sighs> Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. The only way you can do that with not a hypocritical heart, it is my belief, is if you do this process. Pursue justice. Okay, Lori, I do want you to pursue some justice here in XYZ spot. Go on a stage and proclaim freedom for captives. Speak boldly with love and without bitterness. I have told close friends of mine, if you ever see me, get on a stage and start talking about areas where I have not forgiven and confessed, pull me off the stage. <laughs> we need to do that no matter if we're on a stage or if we're in one conversation with one person. You guys, we all scream. We all hit walls after walls where we wake up and we see that this world is not Eden and it is not yet the new heaven and new earth. 
but some of us have yet to do any of this upward grieving, and we get stuck here. We need to let our screams at the world turn to laments of prayer to God so that we can get here. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. How do you do that? You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. The Lord has redeemed Israel from those who are too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy. I just need to take a second because I remember when people would tattoo all over them, choose joy, there's that song. And I was in such a place of bitterness and pain that I get so mad anytime someone talked about joy. It's because I kept all my pain as this false shell. But when I learned how to do this, you get to that bottom and you are able to really grieve. And from that same depths of grief, you can do deep joy. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous, dear siblings of God. My brothers and sisters, when we shift our screams of anger into laments of grief, God transforms our anguish into a warrior song. Do you want to start moving towards some joy and victory and hope today? In, through, and in spite of whatever circumstances you're in? I do. <laughs> so why don't we take the first step by bringing some of our pain as a group to the only one who can do something about it. Let's pray. God, it's in spaces like these where it's like we get a taste of heaven, especially in worship, and we're like, oh God, your kingdom be on earth now as it is in heaven. We want to usher in the kingdom of God right now. And then we go home and we start remembering that we have to face our real lives. And God, we want to bring, we want to be both in the not yet, in the right now with our pain. So God, we want this hope. And so in the quietness of our heart right now, God, as we're singing this next song, I pray that everyone in this room just take some of these seeds that maybe they have really pushed down for many years. And I just pray that they offer them to you, God, as a sacrifice and as the beginning of lament. And I just feel I need to pray this. I pray that they know it won't break them. They won't die if they start looking at this, but they will experience the comfort of Emmanuel, God with us, like never before. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.